Welcome to Brand Story Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Today I'm sitting down with Sean Griffey, the CEO and co-founder of Industry Dive. Industry Dive is a leading business media company publishing daily content for industry executives across 20-plus niche industries. And so excited to have you here on the show, Sean. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Jeb, and uh, excited to be a part of this one, uh, too. I'm glad uh, glad to finally get invited. Well, I mean, as you know, I first learned about Industry Dive and you a few years ago when you were a guest on uh, Digiday podcast with Brian Morrissey. And what struck me was your straight shooting, no BS approach to your business. Um, in particular, you talked about real dollar amounts and growth as opposed to these fictitious, you know, or, or you know, uh, VP of communication savvy, 8,000% increases in various vanity metrics. And so I, I'd love for you to explain uh, what Industry Dive is and, and a little bit about your journey, how it's evolved and, and how you make money. Sounds good. Yeah, so we're a, a business media company launched uh, in 2012. So we've been at it a while. I have, I have two co-founders, Ryan Wilms and Eli Dickinson. Um, we've worked together for about 15 years uh, doing niche media. And somewhere around 2012, we we just thought that there was an opportunity to create the next uh, great media company and, and one that was built around a few things. Uh, one, uh, we believed at the time uh, mobile was going to be a differentiator for media companies. If, if, you, if you look back to 2012, it was right around when Facebook's going public mm-hmm. and people were wondering, can they make money off mobile? Like that, that was the knock on Facebook at one time was – they, can't, they haven't proven that they can make money on mobile. And what we saw was an op, you know, the same thing happening in, in digital media and in business media where there are people that covered things very uh, in, you know, in depth, but uh, they weren't necessarily focused on the things that a modern media company should be focused on. And so we led with a view of mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, we led with email newsletters being the core part of our platform uh, from day one. We led with great design as a differentiator. It's one thing that a small media company can do is look big by having great design. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more than any of that, we led with high-quality journalism. And the idea was that there is real money in these small markets um, that we're in. The you know p- People don't talk about the electric utility industry, but those guys spend – you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars every year uh, on infrastructure and software and technology. And there's healthy marketing and ad dollars in there. And so we said, let's tackle where we know there's money. Um, But if we want to be really big, if we want to be a hundred million dollar company, a $200 million company, it means we have to do it more than once. And Mm -hmm. so we have to be in a lot of markets. And so we built a company that's designed to cover niche markets for targeted audience uh, but do it in a way that is repeatable uh, so we can scale uh, scale by going across markets. Well, I want to stay there for one second because I, I'm a huge believer, as are you obviously, um, in, in niche media properties, right? And, and I love how you've kind of aggregated these different B2B verticals. But I am curious, it's not like you're going into verticals where no one's been there. So I'm curious of how you built and continue to build out um, your niche in these pretty disparate uh, B2B markets that you're in? Well, I, I think, you know, it, it's having a point of view on, on insights for us. Uh, our our um, 
journalists really focus uh, on what are the trends that shape an industry? Um, what, uh, what, what does a story mean? Not, not just like the facts of a story, mm-hmm. um, but what does it mean uh, to the industry? How does it relate to trends that are shaping them and, and what comes next? And I think by focusing on that and taking a real journalistic lens to these industries, um, we've been able to differentiate ourselves from maybe some of the legacy ones in there. I think, you know, there, there is a, I think it's a bad rap most of the time, but there is a, a rap that, you know, uh, trade journalism or niche journalism are cheerleaders for industries, mm. um, that they're not covering it with a critical lens, that they're not being honest or telling the truth. And we said, no, we, 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 a, I don't believe that that's the case, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that there is there has been room for bringing real rigor to how we cover these. And it, it's, you know, allowed us to stand out. Um, so today we've got, you know, over 75 journalists that cover these markets every day. Um, and I tell people, you know, sure, the Wall Street Journal is covering the electric utility industry, but they have a reporter that's covering a lot of industries that may write about it. We, mm-hmm. We've got a team of people that live and breathe it. Um, and when a when a big story happens, we can add context um, that mainstream business journalists can. So it's August of 2020. Last month, you made some pretty big uh, headlines in the in the media world with your acquisition of the content marketing technology firm NewsCred. Take our listeners through the reasons you decided to make that move. Yeah, you know, um, so so just to be clear, and I, I want to say it, we, we bought the content studio and the content syndication business from mm-hmm. NewsCred. That they are staying separate and yep. um, building out their software platform, which is a, a fantastic piece of software. So um, people have come Thanks to me and said, hey, you that. bought all yeah. the news. Yeah, bought NewsCred. Like I want to yep. say, the NewsCred is still going to be in the market. Right. We bought the content studio. Um, but why, why we did that, I think um, there's some – trends here uh a you know for us our studio we and we have an in-house content studio it's been the fastest growing part of our business uh for some time um and i think the the trend is it's it's very difficult for uh marketers today to um tell complex stories uh to to their um their audience right to their Mm -hmm. potential customer bases um, there's a, you know, everyone says, oh, every every company needs to be a media company um, is sort of a, a truism you hear all the time today. And, and I agree with that, um, except it's really hard to be in media. Phew. It's a hard business. I thought you were going to refute that because that's one of my go to lines. I was like, here comes Sean. He's about to hammer me and say, I totally disagree with that. So, <laughs> no, I totally agree. But what, what we know is that, you know, companies say, OK, we're going to be a media company. But then they get, you know, they get six months into it and they say, this is really, really hard. Yep. And um, media companies have built, you know, capabilities and built skills around there um, over decades, over, you know, a hundred some years mm-hmm. of institutional knowledge and the rest. And it's not something that marketers can do just on their own. Um, and so what we've seen is there is a real need to help, um, help them tell stories that are compelling or are authentic that are insightful, um, that land with the audiences that they have. And um, that's a trend that's only grown. Um, but I think the evolution of content studios, you know, continues to make that important. Um, and I think companies are starting to realize that it's not just top of the funnel that content studios can help with. It's not just sort of this high level positioning. It, it's a it's a tremendous you know part of their um, 
ongoing operations with current clients. It's the lead, it can be lead generation. It mm-hmm. can be part of the closed process. It can be the whole thing and um, they need help. And so the news cred acquisition for us is uh, building on the capabilities we have, uh, acquiring some really, uh, a really great team that, that does things uh, in, a, in a depth that we haven't done and then marrying it with some of the things that media companies can bring to a content studio. And, and that, you know, in particular is, is direct audience distribution, um, meaning that it's, it's one thing to help someone create a story. It's another thing to get it in front of the right people. Mm-hmm. And we have audiences that can be the right people for these clients. Um, and it's also real insight into what those audiences do, right? There's a lot of content studios that can, can produce great content. But, but what we're aiming to do is produce great content, but also have it be produced by being informed on what, you know, millions of industry executives have done, you know, the, the week before, the month mm-hmm. before, right? We can, we can talk to our clients and say, hey, here, here's what your target audience cared about yesterday. And here's how that should inform what we're doing tomorrow. Um, and combining that with uh, you know, a tremendous uh, marketing strategy uh, and uh, storytelling and management skills that the NewsCred team brings to us. I think we have a really unique combination. Well, I mean, you're making the nerdy part of my heart just kind of skip a beat, right? Because I mean, I think this entire podcast, Brand Story Inc., started because I candidly had trouble finding a, a singular place that talked about the business of content studios, the best practices of content studios. And I just, it's why I created it quite candidly to have conversations like this. And and I think um, while we talk about all different facets of content studios, we've yet to talk about the acquisition of one and integration of one into an existing firm. And it's, it's really intriguing to me. And I think to our audience, um, I, I'd like to hear um, your ideal blueprint of how this works out and, and knowing that you're just getting this going, kind of what excites you the most and, and what are some of the hurdles that you see? Yeah, I mean, ideally, we don't blow it by com- destroying two great teams, right? Um, I mean, we have a, you know, we acquired a world-class studio, and we have a, had a world-class studio, and mm-hmm. and how we um, combine those, you know, I, I'm telling people here is, listen, we're, we're anxious to combine them, and we're building a new brand that we're going to launch a, a new studio name, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the end of this quarter, uh, early early Q4. Um, we're combining the teams and doing all that. And I'm, I'm really excited, but I'm also nervous that we're going to take something that's great and just uh, make it mediocre in the process. Right. Um, so I think it's, you know, the, the blueprints with a lot of care, I, I think we have to, um, you know, combine teams first so that we are all on the same page and we all have the same vision and that we don't feel like we're competing with each other. Right. The worst things is, the sales teams, yeah. you know, from the legacy group and our sales teams uh, start to, to both call on the same client. And the client's like, wait, what, what happened? Or that someone gets a project, you know, and it goes to one of the old studios and the different ones and the experiences are totally different. Mm-hmm. The, the processes are different. The end results are different. And so I think for us, you know, the, the first part of this is combine that so we have a unified view um, so that the messaging is the same. I think as much as we can, we want to define a product set of here are the things that we sell mm-hmm. um, and here are the things that, that we're going to be really good at um, because I think that helps from a revenue standpoint. That helps the sales team to have sort of guidelines of what they can sell to the clients and it helps people talk about a case studies and the rest. So having a, a kind of uniform product sets there is important at the same time 
you don't want to create something so rigid that you remove, you know, creativity out of these teams. And so, um, I mean, I think the great thing of when you have content studios that are filled with uh, people with journalistic backgrounds and people with marketing backgrounds is there's some incredibly creative and talented people. And so building a structure that allows you to scale and, and grow large, but still taps into their creativity um, is, you know, the, the biggest challenge. And if I say what's going to be the ultimate goal, like finding a way to do that successfully um, is going to be, you know, one of our biggest jobs. Well, it's interesting. You know, I had the, the pleasure of you, you give me a tour of your place, like, I don't know, 18 months ago, back when we used to be able to visit one another. Um, <laughs> I, I miss that place. <laughs> and it was interesting because I, I one of the things I thought you did really well was, and it's it, it comes across to, if you want to check out, go to industrydivedive.com. You can see a list of all the different verticals. It, it's pretty easy user experience to kind of, if you want to go in and see what they do in banking or education or whatever, construction. And you can see there's a uniformity. It's a, um, you know, a consistency, a brand consistency. And also you're easy to buy from. Like the way you productize your offering for advertisers, like it was very clear value proposition. And what's interesting to me is content studios, and I know from our company at Teamworks, it's it's messy, it's custom, it's like creative solutions. And so you've got this, um, you know, it, it's pretty orderly, easy to buy from industry dive background. And by nature, custom content studio solutions aren't as clear cut and kind of in a box. And so it's kind of an interesting merger. And this is um, this is in no way a criticism against uh, news credit. Just I'm talking about that in general, right? Because that's part of the magic of how do you come up with a ideas and solutions that can then be deployed across your assets in a way that are unique to the client and, and things like that. So with that, I'd, I'd love to get your take. Fast forward six months, like what will you be able to do as a company for partners and sponsors that you weren't able to do before? Well, I think, you know, I think one of the great things of what we do here, you know, and, and, and you're right, we, we build boxes around our stuff and then we sell it at, at products um, you know, and it, it's a very similar experience and, and that's intentional so that if a marketer, you know, has one day their target, you know, their, their, you know, their company operates in multiple industries and their focus shifts, you know, we can shift there with them, right? We mm -hmm. can say you were in the retail industry last month. You now care about the grocery, uh, more, guess what? We have audiences there we have products there and the rest. And so they can buy and, and do that easily. Um, I think you're right, though, that it's, you know, part of what makes a great content studio content studio is that, that people go to them because they want to be wowed a little bit. Mm -hmm. They want to think of new ideas. They want something that's really custom to them that helps them stand out. And so we have, you know, w we want to be able to do that. And I think if you look out six months, one of the great things about, um, you know, our new capabilities is when we put this box around it, we, we tended, our content studio tended to be very episodic in nature. Um, whereas client came and said, I have a problem uh, leading into this event or coming out of this, you know, product launch or something, help me solve this. And we would solve that, that need for them. And then they'd come back if they have another need later on. I think one of the things that we're looking to do is really deepen the relationships with them and talk about campaigns, not just in a three month standpoint or not just in a work product standpoint where we will create, you know, a podcast for you or we'll mm -hmm. create a newsletter for you. But think about larger goals 
and stretch it over years. And that's one of the things the group that we bought has done really, really well. They have longstanding relationships. They, they build these not as an episodic sort of, we'll solve today's needs. They say, what's our, gonna, what's our goals for the next two to four years? And then let's build something yeah. along those lines. And I think that's something that six months from now, hopefully you know, we've gotten a lot better at, that we're growing our existing client bases more into that. Um, at the same time, we, we want to still be able to be nimble and solve someone's problem today, right? There's a there's a happy medium between both of those worlds. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know uh, when we built a Latino baseball company called La Vida Baseball, I think one of the things that was shocking to me, the first revenues in were actually our content studio. And, it, and in, in many cases, it was creating content for things that lived outside the ecosystem of La Vida. And like, to me, I think that's a really good litmus test to your point of, Yes, obviously, industry dive and whatever vertical makes sense for them is a no-brainer to deploy because you've got that audience. But the real magic happens if you're creating like a banking or a construction campaign that's living on their social channels or beyond of, of kind of like their general go-to-market strategy. Um, that that seems to be like the nirvana. If, if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, a- absolutely. And, and in no way would we want our clients to feel, you know, like, Hey, no, you have to, right. you have to do something on banking dive, right? The end, right. the end game of this isn't banking dive. Right. Um, it's, uh, the end goal of this is, uh, you reaching your customers in, in a way that's authentic and real and helpful to them. And that may not be through our publications or our audiences. And, and that's going to be okay. So one of my most common questions I'm asking is, right, content studios, I guess in the big picture, are relatively new, but they're not that new for, for including B2B market. Um, you know, I think probably the last five years is when I've seen a significant explosion. But, you know, we're talking about a, a function that's been around, in many cases, 10 to 15 years. So relatively new in the big picture, but not that new. My, my question for you is, especially doing this acquisition during the pandemic, how does COVID impact expectations for content studios executing programs for partners moving forward? Well, I mean, I, I'll tell you the easy answer is, is what happened immediately for them and demand for our studios actually exploded. Hmm. Um, and, and one of the reasons is all of a sudden what, what I didn't appreciate, you know, in March was that a lot of our clients use events as a source of content for their own marketing throughout the year. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have, you know, you look at some of these big, you know, sales forces, you know, and they have the Dreamforce conference, they have their own user conference and the rest. And they use the, they use some of that to generate content. And what's come out of it for, you know, parts of our studio are marketers coming to say, I don't have the content I thought I was going to have for the next 12 months. Help, help me come up with some huh so that I can do these campaigns. And I, I think that that was shocking to us. I mean, we, we you know, candidly never saw a drop. March was our biggest sales month, you know, uh, of the year. And it was driven by a lot of people saying, I've got a real hole now. Mm-hmm. Um, going forward, I, I think this is, you know, I, I think this is gonna be one of the, um, you know, if, if we do this right, I think any sort of, lingering resistance and and if you think about what content studios were like eight years ago right you had to convince people right. in companies that content mattered right and yep. now i think that's that's going away 
uh, at the biggest companies. I'm not sure it's gone away at the middle market companies, right? Like, I don't think they're ready to invest in it. But I, I think as people adjust to how they reach, um, how they reach folks, not being able to do it physically. And if we do this well, we can show that, that there are ways that we can make real connections uh, with communities, with prospects, with people um, digitally. I think as people see that in an absence of a real world, I think it's only going to uh, accelerate uh, you know, or, or increase the demand for what we do. It's really interesting that you said that. I hadn't thought about that, but you, if I'm understanding you correctly, so industry conference X where there's thousands of people was really almost a, um, you know, a, a fishbowl for actual content acquisition to sit down with everyone and actually gather content in an efficient way. What, uh, what I'm seeing and hearing, which is interesting, is actually in the small to mid-sized businesses, money that was allocated to go to conferences, right, it, or yep. and to use t and budgets to take people to wine and dine them and develop relationships, you're not able to do that, but the money was still there. And so I'm seeing like a reallocation of, hey, I can't really go take clients out and I'm interested now in content because it's a way for me to at least kind of get in front of somebody in a way that's of value. So I've seen it that way, but I, it, it, you're right. I, I'm, you said you were shocked by that. I didn't think about that. Like these conferences were actually a, a logical place to gather a lot of cost-effective content that's no longer an option for people. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I really think, you know, and, and I don't want to go off on a, on a tangent here on live events uh, and derail a whole podcast, but I really think that the the event industry is at their newspaper moment now. Yeah. And I mean that in the sense of Craigslist came and they they took one specific role of newspapers, which was classifieds, yep. and cleaved it off, right? Yep. And I think a year without events or a year and a half or two, whoever knows how long it's going to be, someone's going to innovate and cleave off one of the reasons people go to events, mm -hmm. you know, and one of the reasons that people exist. And there's probably seven or eight different reasons that people go to them, right? They, they want not, you know, to gain knowledge. They want to do deals. They, they want to interact with their peers. Um, I never had thought about it being a, con you know, content generator for right. someone, you know, there, but I think there's opportunities for all of us to think about, I'm not trying to recreate events with a content studio or with a virtual event or with anything, a newsletter. I'm trying to serve one specific need mm -hmm. in a different way. Um, and I think there's real, you know, real opportunities for us. What's interesting. I, I, I wanted to go here earlier. One of the things I've, I've used you as an example quite a few times um, as a B2B media publisher. I really think you represent a best in class example of valued audiences. And what I mean by that is that, uh, you know, the, the word scale, right, in agency parlance and brands is, is, is kind of nauseating. Right? And I think what you've done, it, it, you've got this really honed in right audience in the right industry, which enables you to charge a premium, right? From just an efficiency standpoint, you want to get to construction executives, you've got them, right? You're not, you're not paying for a lot of inefficiency um, in terms of just trying to get to where they are. You've got them in one place. I'm curious in terms of how you've gone from building content that serves an audience to starting to build out a, a, a true community, a digital community, which I think is really a big differentiator in kind of the magic of where your company has the potential to go. Yeah. You know, I think that's a, it's a really interesting question and, and I think it can go a couple different ways. I mean, the, 
the truth of the matter is, I mean, one of the if, if I say one of the things that we could do better with is convening our audience. Uh-huh. Right. And I think that's a real role that people have. And it's not one that we've done great, but yet we've still built a community without sort of convening in a live place. Um, we certainly do some, you know, we do podcasts where they convene. We do things, uh, you know, uh, webinars and virtual events where folks convene. So there's some of that. But I think the community feel for us is uh, is a bit like, you know, the the brand identity that resonates with certain people. And I, I think there are, you know, I, I remember uh, when I was, you know, right out of college and I, I was in Atlanta and I was a consultant at the time and we went, um, we went out to uh, lunch with a client and someone next to me ordered a Coke and the restaurant said, would you take Pepsi? And the guy said, no, I'll have an iced tea instead. And the client cheered um, they had nothing to do with Coke, but they viewed themselves as sort of a Coke person in a Coke town. And it was a, you know, mm-hmm. Coca-Cola community. And I'm like, how did they, how did they become a community where people identified themselves mm-hmm. with them? And I think for us, you know, ha- having a certain uh, point of view in how we interact with the audience resonates with the people that will be part of our community, right? Our yep. brand identity and how we build a brand and how we interact in the newsletter and how we talk to them, uh, how we, when we do convene and the LinkedIn groups that we manage and the rest, how, how we interact with that builds a sort of identity that, Hey, this is, this is my part of my industry. Um, I am, you know, I am this role. I am this company. I am this kind of piece. And, and that doesn't mean we're the exclusive group for these people, right? Like no one goes right. to one media company anymore. But I, I think for, for people to say, this is the one I read every morning, um, it's part of how they identify themselves, whether whether we call, you know, whether they call it a community or not. Well, I think to your point with the vacuum of actual physical events happening in the industry, there's just enormous opportunity for you to kind of tap into that and play that role of convener or, or you know, dial the dial it up a, a few notches to kind of go from being a um, you know, respected person, like you, you are seeing it in the LinkedIn communities, but whatever, and you're, you're leveraging it in podcasts, but you know, it's, it just seems like a really neat time for you, uh, for, in, in that regard, which kind of gets me to kind of like the email newsletter, which, you know, uh, I'm not a big better. It's probably why, like there's certain things I never would have bet on Starbucks, right? I never would have bet on <laughs> YouTube. Like I was like, YouTube too complicated. People can't upload video. Right. Um, and, but I, and I, you know, email newsletters, I was like, okay, we're not going to be talking about that in 10 years, 10 years ago. And I feel like this whole direct to consumer, right, owning as, as close as you can be to direct to consumer, right? Yep. Um, that, and, and you've, you've kind of had that as a cornerstone and foundational element of your, of your business strategy. I, I've always been curious what's your take on social media platforms as it relates to industry dives, B2B verticals? Um, you know, I, I think they're useful tools, and I think there are ways to reach new people or to reach the people we have um, in different ways. It's certainly not something that I would ever want to build a business off of, mm-hmm. uh, or rely on distribution, or or you know be be too aligned with in any given way. I mean, I think the history of media is littered with with folks who have tried you know, relied on, on one of these platforms, um, you know, any other platform 
and, and ultimately you're paying rent on it. And, and when they see success, you know, the owners raise the rent. <laughs> um, that's, you know, like all of a sudden, a you know, like analogy. you're the first rest. Yeah, yeah. You're the first restaurant in a, you know, in a <laughs> gentrifying neighborhood. And all of a sudden, you know, thousands of people come in, the rents go up, yep. you know, it's, uh, it's what happens um, with these. Uh, and so I don't want to do that. Um, news, you know, newsletters have always been a platform that we've owned. Um, it's always been a platform that uh, is personally identifiable. So if you think about owning your own data uh, and doing it, it's, it's, you know, it's a unique identifier. Um, it is something that, you know, you can say, I, I sent Jay an email and he opened it. Um, and he, you know, here's, here's where he was and here's what he read, what he clicked on mm -hmm. in there. Um, it's a great data set and it's a push platform. And, and that I think is one of the things that people necessarily didn't appreciate, you know, 10, 15 years ago with newsletters, um, is there's not many things that you can, you can push your content in front of someone. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's, they've got to come back to you. They've got to remember to come back to you or want to come back to you. And, you know, email is a great way to build a habit with someone. Yeah. Uh, talking with co-founder and CEO of Industry Dive, Sean Griffey. If you want to follow him, he's a great follow on Twitter, at Sean Griffey, G-R-I-F-F-E-Y, if you're trying to score at home on the Griffey spelling. Uh, curious on how you stay on top of everything you need to. So we have a weekly segment called Morning Must, and having 20 verticals under the Industry Dive umbrella and seemingly growing every month, what does your email inbox, inbox look like as it relates to staying on top of industry news? Um, I get them all, you know. Uh, it, it's funny, though. There, there's actually become a dearth of news uh, covering, you know, niche industries. And, and that's surprising given that, that the niche part of industries have really exploded. Um, it's, uh, it's been harder. And I, I think the real reason for that is, you know, media people like me are pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. um, we don't buy a lot of stuff. And so the ad markets uh, are hard for it. Um, but but what I do read is I, you know, I'm, I'm a subscriber to Digiday's premium mm -hmm. uh, content. I think they do a nice job covering uh, the industry. Not not all of it relates to me, but I love seeing, you know, things outside of my, my purview and yeah. do it. Um, you know, th there are independent folks now that I increasingly, uh, you know, rely on uh, Jacob Donnelly started a media operator, which I think hmm. uh, is a is a newsletter, you know, a twice weekly newsletter, if you're a subscriber once a week, if you want the free version, um, that does a really good job of nuts and bolts in the industry. Um, and then there's a more mainstream, you know, there's a Axios every Tuesday has a media uh, newsletter uh, that I, I enjoy. So th there's a lot out there. Um, I subscribe to a lot of newsletters. Uh, I wish there were more people who covered news of the business journalism and niche journalism more. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny. This is like my poor man's curation. I, I get smart people like you on each week, ask you what I read and they just take notes. So um, I will <laughs> say Sarah Fisher, who has agreed to come on, uh, we just are scheduling her right now. I think she may be the clubhouse leader for most mentions though, uh, among the, the industry folks. So uh, very excited to get her on. All right, so final, yeah. final question Good. for you, Sean. Bedside book stand. What's Sean Griffey reading these days? Um, so, yeah, interesting question. I just got back to the beach from the beach, so it's more nice. on the beach reading uh, piece. I'm, I'm no am, judgment zone here. You confess no, up to no, a good no. beach read. 
No, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> going to recommend recommend the beach read. I really enjoyed uh, this one, but I'm normally a nonfiction guy, and I got to the beach and just said, I, I want something lighter. So I read a book called Daisy Jones and the Six, um, and it's it's a fictional oral history of a 70s band um, that, that has a lot of similarities to Fleetwood Mac. Oh, okay. Um, so it's a, it's a fun read if you're, uh, you know, if, if you're a fan of, if you go to like Vogue and read the oral histories of bands or Vanity Fair, I guess is one nice. of the big ones and do those, you know, of movies or whatever. This is a full um, oral history style novel uh, of a fake one. And it was, uh, I ripped through it. It was great. Daisy Jones and the Six? And the Six, yep. Awesome. Well, Sean, appreciate you coming on. Uh, really excited to be tracking how things go with the integration on NewsCred Content Studio and uh, really admire what you built. And, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing some insights with us. Thanks, Jay. I always love uh, listening to the podcast and seeing what you guys are doing at Teamwork, too. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc., We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.